thank you for your word. We thank you for your sovereign plan. And sometimes, Lord, it just doesn't make sense. So I pray this morning for Brian as he is in the hospital and he is suffering. I pray that you might be with the doctors. Give them wisdom that can only come from you to be able to know how to treat him with this infection and with the pain, the searing pain that he has. I pray, God, that you might give them wisdom, that you might give them insight that the medicine would work, that the antibiotics would work. Lord, with your miraculous hand, you would touch him and heal him, keep this pain away from his body, and that he'd be able to get back to life as he knew it uh, as normal. So, Lord, I pray that you might minister to him. Lord, allow this time, this trial, to bring him closer to you during such a difficult time. We also pray for this baby, Eleanor, this morning as she is taken uh, to the hospital in Boston. Lord, that's never a good sign whenever they life flight a baby or take a baby by ambulance. And such a little baby. We pray for mom as she tries to get there after her surgery and dad as he gets there. We pray for the older boys that you might help them to trust in you. Lord, it's easy to say that and it's so hard to do. So minister to this family that this crisis might bring them closer to you so that they would be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, we're gonna be in Jeremiah chapter 12 this morning. We're in the middle of a series on prayer. How do I pray certain certain ways or specific ways? Remember, the first thing we wanna talk about is prayer is not informing God about the needs He already knows about it. What we really are praying when we pray is, God, I want to express trust in your provision for what you are going to do. So I love this verse. I'm trying to memorize it. Hopefully you are memorizing it as well. It's 1 John 5, 14. Let's say the reference, the verse, and then the reference. Would you say it with me? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. First John 5:14 helps to have the same translation that you're reading that I'm reading. Sorry about that. <clears throat> we have conflict this morning. Did you know that? There's conflict this morning. There's two ways to handle conflict. I'm going to paint it in big broad strokes. The first one is people get aggressive. There's that fight in them. If you're going to have conflict with me and I with you, and uh, what's going to happen is you can get aggressive. Some of you, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, although there are some body motions being made. I see those elbows being uh, drug into your side. That's not your spouse. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> He's ministering to you through your spouse. What happens when you get angry is people get aggressive and they start fighting with each other. They start hollering at each other. There's finger pointing. There's, there's lots of anger. You ever have that kind of person? that does that okay perhaps you have this type of person where you get the silent treatment you sit on one side of the couch you sit in the other what's wrong nothing oh did i do something no well are we going to talk about no should i just sit here yes are we going to talk about this no are we done yes and there's a silent treatment which way is right which way is wrong i don't know i do it both ways Neither way works out very well. So I just run into a warped wall and snap my Achilles tendon and everything's better. (laughs) What happens here, friends, is this is the way that we handle conflict. The same thing happens when it comes to God. We get really mad at God. We get aggressive with God. 
we shake our hand in the air and we tell God what we think he needs to do, perhaps in language or words, motions, convictions that we have, we say, God, this is how it is. And we just, if you will, we tell God off. The other thing we do when we're mad at God is we give him the silent treatment. God, I'm not going to talk to you. God, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to stop reading my Bible. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop everything that I know I should do because I'm mad at you. It's the same way with God as it is with our earthly relationships. Today, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 12 because Jeremiah has taken the first course of action. He's not going to ignore God. He's going to lay right into God and tell God what he thinks is going on. So we're in the middle of Jeremiah. I'm coming right into a chapter, so I got to fill you in on what's happening so we make sure we take this all with the right who, what, where, when, why, how. So I'm going to fill you in on the context of the whole book in the next 30 seconds of your life so we can get into Jeremiah chapter 12, all right? Jeremiah, his job, he was called by God to warn the people of impending judgment. Be ready, bad things are going to happen. Hold on, it's going to get worse. However, when he started to preach, the people, they were stubborn and they didn't want to hear. You ever try talking to a stubborn person? It just does not work. They don't want to listen. They dig in their heels and they say, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what song or dance you have to do. I've made up my mind. Regardless of what you say, I'm not going to listen. Do we have those people in our life? We do. And it is very difficult to try to speak truth to them when they don't want to hear it. So Jeremiah is trying to minister to the people of Israel, actually the southern side of Judah, and Judah doesn't want to hear because Judah is living high in the hog. He's saying everything's going to turn, it's going to get bad, and they're sitting at a, a table full of food going, doesn't look too bad right now. Jeremiah is saying, just you wait. Who wants to have that message? I don't want to have that message. I want a message of hope. But Jeremiah is saying, you don't have too much hope coming. So what happens is his main message is change your heart. Change your heart. Don't, I want you to change your ways, but change more your heart. Because I can fool you and you can fool me. To make it really practical, I tried to fool the girls on Friday when this happened. And they said, Dad, you okay? Yep, I'm great. I, I'm great. You ever try to hurt yourself and play it off? I'm great. We focus so much on the hands, but deep in, the people's hearts were hard towards God. So what happened is Jeremiah chapter 12 is Jeremiah, he has what commentators are calling a confession. Really what happens is Jeremiah is just venting his frustration. And so that, with that in mind, we're going to go into Jeremiah chapter 12. I have uh, the first uh, seven to ten ver seven verses, but I'm going to set you up for how the rest of the chapter goes. So if you want to open your bulletin to the back side, there's some places to take notes if there's something you want to write down or use your Bible as always. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 12, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. 1 through 4, Jeremiah has some questions for God. We have questions for God. So let me pause before we even get into it, as John read, it is okay to question God. It is okay to ask God, why? What is this doing? God, what are you trying to do? Because we see that through scripture, and you know that a prophet, he has one job. His words come right from God. So he is representing God. So Jeremiah has these questions. So I don't want you to leave here saying, I can't ever question God. 
I would submit to you this morning, it's not, how we, it's not what we question God, it's the attitude of how we question God. I can ask you questions all the time. You can ask me the questions all the time. There's two ways to ask questions. That is the difference and the rub we're going to work with today, okay? So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Words are on the screen, and you also have your copy of God's Word in your lap. I encourage you to get that out. He says in verse 1, righteous. What's it mean to be righteous? Righteous means straightness. Morally right, it means that God is fair and God is correct. God is right all of the time. There is never a time that God is wrong. And so the first thing that we want to make sure that we understand we walk into this passage is Jeremiah is not asking God what's going on. He's asking God, why is this happening? I don't understand. You ever have that time? You go, God, this is happening. I just don't understand. So what he does, he opens up this chapter. He says, God, you are right. You are straight. You are pure. You are always correct and true. He starts with that. If you ever work with conflict management and you have to tell someone the bad news, I'm not trying to be funny, you butter them up. In the words of Joe Kennedy, I talk to Joe all the time, he goes, when you have to confront someone, you, you put it like a sandwich. He goes, the bread is the compliment, the meat is what they got to work on. I said, except the bad thing is you always remember the meat. You always remember the sticking point. So what Jeremiah is doing, he's not buttering God up. He's not trying to manipulate God. He's saying, first of all, God, I know that you are right. God, I know that you are pure. I know that what you do, it's always, always right. Good way to start off with God because we believe that that is true. God is always right. The question comes is we don't understand what he is doing. So let's go ahead, all right? So he says, righteous are you, O Lord. God, you are pure, you are right. When I plead with you, let me talk to you about your judgments. Different translations will say, God, let me talk to you about your decisions. There's things going on that I don't understand. He says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? So it sounds a lot like our psalm from last week we looked at. God, I don't understand. I know that you're right. I know that you're, you're always correct. But God, I don't understand what's going on. The wicked people are winning. He says, why are those happy? Why are they happy for those who deal so treacherously? I have this quote, and I'm not sure if I put it in your notes or not, but Matthew Poole is one of the commentators I read. He puts it this way. He says, God, I know your ways are just and right, but they are dark and hidden from me. I cannot understand why you are doing this. So what we are going to learn today is how do we pray when we don't understand? The first thing we need to do when we pray, when we have something going on we don't understand, is we, we need to acknowledge that God knows what's going on. He has the plan. He has the path. He has the playbook. We just don't know all the plays. So the first thing, if you want to write in your notes on the side or in your Bible, is acknowledge God's rightness. God is right in this. He says, Jeremiah says in verse 2, he says, you have planted them. He says, God, you have put them where they are. He is, God, Jeremiah is acknowledging God's sovereignty, saying, God, I know that you know what's going on. There's never been the question. If you read the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms, David is writing, God, where are you? God, I feel so far from you. And you read the Psalms, you feel that angst within him. 
But this morning, the question is not, God, where are you? The question Jeremiah has is, God, what are you doing? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that going, God, I know that you're there. I know that you're right. I know that you hear me praying. I just don't understand. And so Jeremiah's having this conversation. And he comes in verse 2 and he says, God, I know that you've put them there. They haven't weaseled their way in. They have come in and they have taken root. So it's one thing to have a plant. It's a second thing to have a root. Once you got roots, now you got some deep soil going there, and it's hard to pull the plant out. Just ask some of the weeds that are still, we're still trying to yank out. They've got a big root system because we didn't get them when they first started. He says, God, you have planted them, not the roots, the evil people. They have taken root. They have even grown. God, the way of the wicked, they're prospering. They're doing well. And not only are they doing well, they're bearing fruit. Life is good. And he says, I just don't understand. Look what he says about the wicked people. They are near and you are near in their mouth. God, they talk about you. God, they acknowledge you. But look what he says. But they, but you are far from their mind. They speak of God, but they don't think about God. What a great way to bring application this morning. When you come to church, and I'm saying you in general, when you come to church, we talk about God. We get a lot of God language. How are you doing today, brother? How are you doing today, sister? I'm not against that. You hear me on that? Are you with me? You hear me on that? I'm, I'm all like, how is God working your life? My question is, do we think about God Monday through Saturday? Because when we come to church, we talk a lot about it. But is it part of our life? Is this something that we do? Or is this something that we are? And so what Jeremiah says here in chapter 12, verse 2 is, God, they talk about you, but they don't even think about you. You ever, you ever say something, and then as you say it, you think it? Oh, that's me. You know that. I've been here long enough. You realize he didn't think. He just spoke, and then he thinks. And you try to get that word, ah, oh, it's out. Sorry. He says, they, think, they don't think about you. I want you to think about the Lord. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Verse 3, all right? <clears throat> he says, verse 3, but you, O Lord, so notice the but, that's a contrast. He says, but you, O Lord, you know me. The question, again, he says, Lord, you know me. Turn in real quick. Keep your finger in Jeremiah. I want you to go back to Psalm uh, 139. I love this psalm. I love this psalm. This is a dangerous, if you want a dangerous psalm to pray, pray this psalm. This afternoon, pray this psalm. The Patriots don't play until 4 o'clock. <clears throat> you got some time to look at this. you got some time to read God's word. Turn to Psalm 139. <clears throat> I'm going to read the first four verses. And if you don't know how to pray, then pray this one. <clears throat> Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. God knows all about you. I know some about you. You know some about me. But there's like hidden closets that we don't share with one another. God knows the hidden closet. He actually knows the key to where the hidden closet is hidden. He knows it. And David says, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar. There's nothing that we can hide from God. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, you, O Lord, 
you know it all together. That is how great and how big God is. Before we even think it, God knows what we are going to say before we even think about it. That is how sovereign and how big he is. Jeremiah says, let's go back to Jeremiah 12. He says, God, you have searched me. You know me. You have seen my heart. Our hands can make us do things that make us look really good, but our heart's not in it. Practical application, when we have to do something we don't want to do, we do it, but we don't do it with vigor. Okay, for the next couple months, I can't take out the trash. So the girls now get to take out the trash. They do it, but they don't do it with vigorousness. That's a word. They have to walk the dog. They do it, but they don't do it with excitement. Sometimes what happens is we look at this psalm, or this, this chapter, Lord, you know me, you've seen me, you've tested my heart towards you. Jeremiah is saying, God, you know me, you know where I'm at. God, you know my heart in this. I'm not coming to you in an angry way. I'm coming to you saying, I know that you are right. I just don't understand. Help me understand. He says in verse 4, I've got to go to verse 3, B, if you will. He says, you know my heart. You've tested my heart towards you. Look at verse, what he says in verse 3. He says, pull them out. Who is the them? The them is the evil or the wicked ones. He says, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. And prepare them for the day of slaughter. You know what Jeremiah is saying according to the book of Tom? God, take the wicked out and beat them. Would you kill them? Would you massacre them? Make them bleed. God, make them suffer. And this is scripture. Oh, we shouldn't feel that way. Jeremiah feels this way, friends. And he's the man of God. Shouldn't. Not shouldn't, I shouldn't feel the same way. But I feel almost okay that I feel the same way. Because Jeremiah has this angst within him saying, the wicked people are doing well. God, why are they doing well? Do you know what Jeremiah is missing here in this verse? He's missing forgiveness. And what happens is when people hurt me, when people hurt you, our first natural instinct is not forgiveness. Our first natural instinct is make them suffer, baby. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We're going to make you suffer. At least that's me. In an, in an open, transparent way, I want them to suffer. Jeremiah says, Lord, pull them out like sheep. Make them suffer. But Jeremiah's missed the whole gospel. He's missed the whole point of God of his forgiveness and their salvation. Don't be so angry and misunderstanding that you forget about the characteristics of God of forgiveness. That you forget about the characteristics of God, of his all-knowingness. Let's not forget about God in our moment of confusion. Let's keep reading. This is a great verse. Great verses. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? How long will the beast and the birds be consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there? What this means is Jeremiah is looking around and look what happens. The land is suffering. The herbs or bushes are dying. The beasts and the fields and the, and the birds, they are suffering. Why? Because the wicked people live there. Because God is punishing the wicked people, the innocent people have to suffer. That is the rub that Jeremiah has. 
God, it's not fair. God, I don't understand. And this morning you might be here and you're having this same discussion, but it's not about the innocent people, it's about your situation. God, why does this have to happen? Why have I gone to church for 10, 20, 30, 50, 900 years of my life and I have done this and yet the pagan that lives beside me who has done everything illegal has spent time doing everything that is against your word. Why are they doing well and why am I suffering? That is the, that is the rub that Jeremiah had this morning. Let's keep reading. Great stuff. Just imagine if I was on my feet. I'd be all into this even more. This is good stuff. He says, why are they doing this? Because they will not see the end. The wicked people don't believe in the sovereignty or the all-knowingness of God. God doesn't see all. God's really not in control. God doesn't know all. What the wicked people are doing, they're mocking God. So Jeremiah, he lands these questions to God. And the way I teach or speak or preach, I ask questions because questions demand an answer. I ask you a question, I'm hoping that you give me an answer. I go home, I ask questions. How was your day at school, girls? I don't want them to answer the question with a question. That drives me insane. Just answer the question. People that answer a question with a question sometimes have something to hide. But God, in his sovereignty, he answers the question with a question. We're going to look at the first two. All right, You can look at verses through 12. There's these questions that God is answering. So I can almost see it in my mind's eye. This is the way I see it because I'm visual. Jeremiah is sitting on a hill somewhere. He's looking up at heaven, and he's, he's throwing all these questions to God. God, why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? Where are you at, God? What's going on, God? And he's sitting there with his arms crossed going, what you going to say about this? And God comes, and he says in that still, small voice, I have some answers for you but they're going to come in questions. I'm going to pull some hope out of this. But here's the thing. Really what God is saying to Jeremiah is, if it's bad now, just wait, it's going to get worse. That's the message of Jeremiah. So let's look at these couple of verses, okay? Verse 5. He says, if you run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? That's an odd answer to the question. In my humanness, I look at that and go, that's not the answer I wanted, God. Just give me the yes or the no. Don't give me, don't stir the water even more for me to have confusion. So what's he mean here? He says, Jeremiah, he's looking at him and says, if you've been running with the footmen, the footmen are the people of Judah, and you're tired of running with them, how is it going to be that you can contend with horses and run with horses? The horses being the Babylonians that are coming in. If you can't handle the people of Israel that, quote, love me and they weary you, how are you going to deal with the people that don't love me and come in and bring you in captivity? He says, further of all, he says, and if in the land of peace in which you have trusted they weary you, then how will you do in the floodplain of Jordan? What he's saying here is he's given a word picture. On the left, is, this, is a picture of modern-day Israel. It's the best one I could get. And so what happens is God is saying to Jeremiah, you're in the land of peace. You're in the land of milk and honey. You're in a land of great fields. And you're already tired. How's it going to be when you're taken away and you're in captivity and you're living in the floodplains of the Jordan? 
The Hebrew for that, the idea is the thicket. So this is a picture of the thicket. Which one would I want to walk through? Well, on two healthy legs, I'd want to walk through the field. On, on a broken leg, I'd still want to walk through the field. Why? Because you see a couple things about the field. It's open. It's beautiful. There's no roots. There's no rocks. There's no real brush or thicket that are going to hide animals to jump out and devour me. You look at the thicket. Some of you are trying to find Bambi. Bambi is not going to be in the middle of a field. Bambi's going to be hiding in the thicket because that is where she or he, the bears, the lions, the tigers, they can hide and be protected. God is saying to Jeremiah, he says, in the land of peace, the one on the left, in which you trusted, they weary you. You're tired in a land where you don't have anything to do because it's all provided for you. How are you going to do when you have to trudge through here? When you have to try to make a crop through here? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Look at verse 6. He says, even your brothers, the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. If you want to turn or make a mark for Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 9, there's a great thing going on here that, that, that helps us understand what's going on in Jeremiah's life. There's a, there's a bounty out for Jeremiah. People don't like Jeremiah's message. So if you don't like the messenger, what happens? You kill the messenger. We say that all the time. Hey, I got bad news. Don't kill the messenger. Kill the message. Jeremiah is coming saying, hey, Israel, it's not going to get any better. We're going to suffer. I don't like that message, so I'm going to change the channel. I'll kill the messenger. Look at chapter 11, verse 9. And the Lord said to me, me being Jeremiah, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There is a warrant out for Jeremiah's death. Guess who put out that warrant? His brothers. So he says, God says to Jeremiah in verse 6, even your brothers, the very flesh and blood of your father's house, they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called the multitude. One of the greatest betrayals to Jeremiah is that his family has betrayed him. That hurts. That hurts. He says, even though they speak smooth words, you know, that's a very nice translation. You know what his brothers are being? Hypocritical. I'll tell you what you want to hear on this side, but when you're out, I'm really going to tell you what I really think about you. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah, we love you. We think you're wonderful. You're, you're, the, you're the best brother we ever had. Let's kill him. How can we take him out? Let's bring a conspiracy against him. God is telling Jeremiah, your own family is not with you love what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says. It says it this way. If Jeremiah could only trust God in the times of peace, how could he imagine, how could he manage in the times of difficulty? If I can trust in God when everything's going well, why can't I trust in God when things aren't going well? It's really what the question is. I would submit to you two things. The two things I would submit to you is, A, I like to be in control. And I can have control or I can have God be in control. 
when I'm in control, then I know what's coming. I know the next bend. I know the next thing. I know the next thing. I know the next thing. But guess what? I don't know all the playbook. God, when he's in control, I take my hand off the wheel and I say, okay, God, I want to trust in you. And when times are good, when the road is smooth, then I can trust in God. But the, the rub comes when times of difficulty come. God, am I going to trust in you? So, you know, i got to bring hope. I've got to bring hope. I can't leave you like this and say, have a great day. I've got to bring you hope. I've got to help. If anything, I have to help me process this. So where I turn, I'm going to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And it's with this I close. James chapter 2 <clears throat> says, My brethren, or brothers and sisters, consider it great joy, or pure joy, when you fall into various trials. I can't wait to see the orthopedic surgeon on Monday. I hope that he tells me that this is going to be great, and I hope this and this and this. You sit there and go, I can't wait till the next trial comes. My, my stomach has been hurting. I've got this growth. I can't wait to go to the doctor so he or she can tell me it's cancer. I've had trouble with my memory. I can't wait to go to the doctor. And have him or her tell me, it's, it's dementia, it's Alzheimer's. I can't wait till. No, friends. We run from bad news. Sometimes I look, sometimes people tell me, did you see what happened? I called you today. No, I didn't want to hear the bad news. So if I don't hear it, then I'll have to deal with it, right? So what happens here is we look at this. How do we process this bad news? God's word. Consider it great joy. Pure joy, my brothers, when you have various trials. When the trials of life come, when the bumps in the road come, when the hiccups in the road come, that's to bring us joy. Why? Because knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And I'm not a patient person. But when I have trials, when you have trials, God is still working on me. God is still working on you. And we are to look at that going, God, you're trying to teach me something. I don't like to be taught the hard way, but God, I need to be submissive and allow you to take the lead. He says, why? But let, pa let patience have its perfect work. And let endurance, or in the, on the screen it says, let endurance have its full effect so that you might be mature and complete. What? Lacking in when I have trials come in, God is still trying to perfect me. I almost brought in a set of weights. Kind of be difficult to illustrate that right now. When I started weightlifting, and I usually don't weightlift, but I would start at the easiest weight. I started, you know, I started 50 pounds. That's pretty light for me. And I would go, and I would start lifting 50 pounds. I want more, so I go to 60 pounds. It, it causes me to work harder. But then when I go to 50 pounds, it's a lot lighter for me to lift. If you watch the World Series at all, the batters in the on-deck circle, they have weights on their bat, and they swing. And why do they do that? Because when they swing their real bat, if you will, without the weight on it, boy, it whips right through that strike zone, and that ball flies really, really far. When we have trials, God is trying to mature us and to complete our faith so that we lack nothing. Good news and bad news. How do you pray when you have trials? How do you pray when you don't know what God is doing? First of all, you say, God, I know that you know what's going on. 
God, help me be understanding, knowing that I have some maturing to do. In love, you need to mature. Do you know what? I need to mature because I'm not there and you're not there, but we have a God that is there. Three questions to end our time. First one is, am I trusting that God's ways are best? Am I, am I, when it comes down, when push comes to shove, am I trusting that God's ways are best? Or am I still wrestling with me, that I need to be in control? Because I can't be in control and God can't be in control. There's not two steering wheels to the life here. There's only one who's driving me or God. Second question is, am I giving God the permission to search me? Interesting. Jeremiah throws all these questions up. He says, God, you search me. You know me. You look in me. Because so many times we make accusations before we look at ourselves. So have you given God the permission to say, God, look at my heart. What's right in my heart? What's wrong in my heart? Third and final question is, is my faith maturing and enduring? Is this a time of growth? I don't understand what's going on, but I know that God wants me to grow. Would you pray that my faith would be mature and growth? Because one thing that's come clear in the last couple months is I'm in the business to change. God wants to change me. He didn't save me and keep me the same way I am. He wants me to continue to mature and grow in my faith. How about you? Let's close in a word of prayer, and then our deacons are going to come forward for communion. You know, as your pastor, I love to pray for you. As you think about God's word and what it said to you, is there anybody I could pray for this morning that says, Tom, would you pray for me? Because right now I'm having a hard time with God's ways in my way. Would you pray that I can give God control of my life? I see that one hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Two hands. Thank you. Is there anybody I could pray for this morning that says, Tom, would you pray for me? Because I want God to search me, but not all of me. Would you pray that I will be open and honest with God? Would you pray for me? Anybody here this morning? Is there anybody I could pray for this morning that would say, Tom, would you pray for me? Because I need to grow in my faith. I know that God wants me to continue to develop. Would you pray that my faith would continue to grow? I see that one hand. Thank you. Two, three. Thank you. Four, five. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, it continues to challenge us, continues to show us where we're doing well. God, it also shows us where we need to grow and mature. Lord, help us not to trust you in just the times that things are going well. Help us to trust you in times where we're not in fields, but we're in the thicket of it. Lord, I pray for those that are vulnerable this morning. It says, would you pray for me, Lord? I lift them up. Lord, it's hard to give you control because then we're not in control, but we are to trust you with all of our hearts, knowing that you have the plan, knowing that you know what is happening. Lord, I pray for those that are looking at this hard and saying, I don't know if I want God to search me because I don't know if, I, if he's going to like what he finds. So God, I pray that you might help them to give you permission to search all of them, not just some of them, but all of them. And Lord, I pray for those that want to grow in their faith. Lord, by often by growing in our faith, we face difficult times. So Lord, help us to become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.